0: join our hearts together in prayer, shall we? Our Father and our God, we have been together now, lifting up our voices and acknowledging that you are the sovereign God of the universe. We have talked about or sung about your holiness, that you are set apart from all creation. You are the great and mighty and powerful God, the creator of all things. And we have recognized that All power belongs to you, and that you are the God of the ages, that you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And Father, we have also now acknowledged that you are the one who reigns supreme. You are the king of the universe. There is nothing that exists that is not under your control and domination, except, Father, for our hearts at times. We so regularly resist your reign in our lives. We are the only creature in all of creation that seeks to withstand your authority in our lives. And so, Father, we come before you this morning and acknowledge that, and acknowledge the wrongness of that. And our hearts really want and our lives really, we really desire in our lives that we would be in step with the authority and reigning power of the king of the universe. And so, our God, as we turn our attention to your word now, I pray that you would help us to focus on your message to us. May our ears be unstopped that we might hear your voice, and that we might hear it powerfully, Lord, and that it might shape us So I pray for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit now to take us on a journey through your word. And then, Father, I pray that by your convicting work, it may be applied to our lives, that we may want and desire to respond appropriately to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. And I want you to think about it for a few moments and not dismiss it quickly, knowing full well what the right answer is. Is God's word a stronger force in your life than your own personal feelings about God and His ways? I'm going to ask that question again. Is your uh, is God's word a stronger force in your life than your own personal feelings? ...about God and His ways. Now, if you think about that for a few moments... ...it will become apparent to you that you can't answer that probably categorically yes. The constant bane of the human-divine relationship is the clash... ...between biblical authority and our personal tastes or feelings... And by the way, there are more than a few voices in the evangelical marketplace that are really blurring the lines between the authority of God's Word and how we feel God really should be. Experiences and feelings, be careful now. Be careful about what you listen to, what you read. Experiences and feelings are becoming a greater authority than the standard of God's word. There is a constant competition. And lately, what many are doing is stating this, that my experience is my authority and all of those that I can, can convince along the way. Jonah is a classic example of this. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Jonah chapter 2? Jonah preferred that God would act according to his feelings rather than his revealed character. In fact, at the end of the story of Jonah as it is recorded here, or near the end, Jonah articulates this. And if we read between the lines, he's basically saying to the Lord, I was hoping you wouldn't be that God. And what God is that? He was hoping that you wouldn't be the God who is all compassionate and gracious and cares about Assyrians. I was hoping you weren't going to be that God. Because that God doesn't match up with my feelings about the Assyrians. And I would like it if you, God, would match my feelings. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we, as we're going through this book, and the purpose of God deciding that this should be part of the great canon of His Word, is that we would look into a mirror, as it is with all of God's Word, and look into a mirror and re- realize that we are staring at ourselves. While Jonas seems uh, so remotely different from us, if we look carefully at his life, we're going to find out that he really isn't. And in our honest moments when we're really looking carefully at the mirror and we're staring at the person looking at us, we realize that there are flaws in how we interact with God's Word and God's ways and God's character as it's revealed. And it seems that Jonah said, if I ever get the chance to write a book, I'm going to try and convince people that you're someone different than you really are. William Paul Young, a name that might be familiar to some of you, it will be when I mention to you the book he wrote. He decides to write a book whereby he portrays God as a rotund black woman. And he calls his book The Shack*. And he writes the character and nature of God in his description in that book as a reaction to his hyper-fundamentalist upbringing and his harsh authoritarian father. And says that on the basis of the hyper-fundamentalism that I encountered in my life and the authoritarian father that I had, God surely can't be like this. He must be like that. Well, it's a a best-selling book. But the best book that will teach you about the character of God is the book that you probably have open right now and it's sitting on your lap. This is the only book that matters in terms of the revealed character and nature of God, regardless of the experiences and feelings on the evangelical marketplace. Rob Bell feels that the only sensible love from a God as he understands him can't include a hell in spite of what the scriptures teach and assert. And so he decides on the basis of his feelings that he's going to paint the picture of a God who has lied to us in the Bible about hell. we're not immune to this. Jonah wasn't immune to this. But let me caution you at the beginning of this section of the Scripture this morning. Jonah's feelings got him into the belly of a fish. You hear what I'm saying? That's where feelings may take you. Into the Stomach of a fish. The good news is, in Jonah Jonah chapter 2, from the depths of the belly of a fish, I better pray. Amen? When all else fails, when feelings and experience have left you wanting, you can always pray. Let me say something to you, that God's word or your feelings and experiences are watershed in your life. This is crucial. This is crucial to going forward with God, that you get this settled in your life. Because we're a bundle of feelings. We're daily full of experiences. But what is the revelation of God over against our experiences and our feelings in terms of informing our direction in life? The question, will you keep following your feelings or God's word? Because once you untie your life from the moorings of God's word, anything and everything subjective tosses your life to and fro. And the tradition of God's people has been that this is non-negotiable. Feelings... And experience must be understood based on the revelation of God and not the other way around. That has been the foundation of our fathers, the foundation of our mothers, the foundation of our faith as those who serve the living Christ. Feelings and experiences follow revelation. They do not create it. Okay. Okay. What does Jonah pray? From inside the fish. It's rather comical, really. I know there's not a lot of snickers going on out there this morning, but every time I start to read this, I just want to break up and start laughing. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. I mean, that's that's very unusual. That's a very unusual experience. You don't create a doctrine on the basis of that. Where should people go and pray? You should go find a fish. Get inside that fish and pray. But i got to tell you that that's the way people would be writing books today. On the basis of their experience. Jonah would come out and say, you know what? The only place to pray is in the belly of a fish. And I'm going to write myself a book about it. No, it's rather comical. It's rather sad, really. It's rather unfortunate that it had to come to this point. That he's in the belly of a fish. Until he comes to his senses and says, I better pray. And so here he is. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God! When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And then this great statement of revelation, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land and from that day forward he would be known as the Puke Prophet. (laughs) I want to share with you four lessons today when feelings have delivered you into calamity and these could protect you from being in calamity or perhaps you're there already because of your feelings but I can tell you if you are going to navigate the ship of your life Based fully on your feelings, you are headed for calamity. And the first lesson that I pick out of this text is this. In God's care, anything is possible. Do you believe that? In God's care, anything is possible. Now, he is fighting with God. Jonah is fighting God. And it gets him thrown overboard and into the belly of a fish. The normal rule when that happens is you're going to... Well, first of all, get, getting thrown overboard, the normal rule is you're going to drown. And we have this description of it sinking down, 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 down. Remember what we talked about in chapter 1? We said that the direction of Jonah when he, when he um, uh, bypassed the voice of God... And jettisoned the revelation of God from his life was down. Remember, he went down to Joppa. He went down in the ship. He went down into the hold of the ship. And then he went down into the sea. And down he goes into the very bottom of the sea. And this whole journey in this prayer is him going down, 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 down. That's my little guy up there in the right hand side. I guess it's not a mirror image up there. On the right hand side, the little man falling down, down, down. That's Jonah. That's the person who's. Navigating their lives by their feelings, and then he's delivered from drowning, but he has got one small problem: he lands up in the fish's belly. The man is inside of a fish. Uh, I started to think about that for the first time ever when I, I know this story a lot, but as I was thinking about that, I just stopped and paused, and I was staring. In fact, Carol Bukowski caught me staring in my office. She walks down, and I'm I'm looking at just looking. And she starts to look over, like, what what are you looking at? And I was like, what are you doing? You're actually doing nothing. Is this what you do all day, is just sit down in your office and do nothing? But I was actually staring, and I was thinking, think about this. The man's in the belly of a fish. And I I don't know, it just just got to me, and I had to think about it for a while. The man is in the belly of a fish. this is a very unusual moment. Inside of a fish. But it says in the text, nevertheless, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. I would be thinking to myself, what can God possibly do now? I've been swallowed by a fish. Is it, you think about that for a few moments. It doesn't get more desperate. It doesn't get more distressing. I'm inside of an animal. I don't have a jackknife with me. What am I going to do? And so in his distress, he cries for help. And for the first time, there's a really important acknowledgement here in verse 3. He says, all your waves and your breakers are sweeping over me. He's starting to recognize that, that this is all about God. God's in control here. This is what drives us to prayer. When you finally come to the place where you realize it matters to pray because God is in charge. God is in control. That's what prayer acknowledges. Lord God, I need your help. That's why I'm praying. I come before you because I'm 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 in the belly of a fish. I've got no other I've got no other hopes for me. And so he prays. Although, I mean, he has the one, he's the one who's precipitated this trouble. It's God who is causing the storm and the, the being thrown overboard to regain Jonah's attention. Remember me, Jonah? Running after your feelings? Chasing an experience out to Tarshish? You turned your back on my word. You refused to listen to my voice. You've been listening to your feelings. But here's the bottom line, Jonah. You can't run away from sovereign God's ways. That's important for us to get a grip of. We will not run away, we cannot run away from God's sovereign ways. And the bottom line in our lives, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, is this. God will not, He cannot be ignored. He will not be ignored. You may be running after or chasing after your feelings, but God will not be ignored. And regardless of how bleak it looks, once you've been transported from calamity into the care of God, anything is possible. That's the great message here. No matter how bad it really gets, and no matter how far you have drifted, no matter how far away from the voice of God you have allowed yourself to randomly move, once you have come to your senses and you are placed in the care of God, anything is possible. Even rescue from the belly of a fish. Now look at he's, jonahs he has got no idea what's what, what going to happen. He's going down, down, down into the water. And that's, part of this, that's the essence of his prayer. Keep in mind, he's, he's keeping us in prayer as if we're in real time with him. He says, in my distress, I start praying. So as soon as he went into the drink, and he starts to go down into the water, he starts to pray. And he's describing how he's going down while he's, being, while he's praying I've been banished from your sight as he's going down under the water. And he called out, do you notice, to a prayer-answering God and a God who listens to our prayers. He describes it here. I called out to the Lord and he answered me because he's a prayer-answering God. From the depths of the grave I called for help and he listened to my cry because he's a God who listens to your prayers. When experiences prove faulty and your feelings have got you inside of a fish, the revealed God of the Bible, as he is revealed, can do the impossible and regularly has to to bail us out of our problems there's a second thing I noticed in this prayer it's probably pretty obvious and you've probably already learned this but maybe you're still in the school of hard knocks it is this you can't rescue yourself you try and try but you can't rescue yourself Jonah wanted to chase after his feelings, as you know, and what we notice in the story as we were leading up to this, that the more independence you seek, the less manageable your life will become. Do you understand that? The less you try to run away from God and stop listening to his voice and stop paying attention to his word and start choosing to follow your feelings, feelings or some sort of experience that you've had, the more independence you seek, the less manageable your life will become. And eventually... The easy options for return will completely disappear. Isn't that the description that he has here? He's talking about going down and into the water. It's it's one of those, I'm in a fish. He finally comes to a place. It's It's like that TV commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. This takes it to a whole new level. So he comes to the place where there's nothing else he can do. And the longer you persist in running away, the deeper the trouble will become. You know this, or you uh, will experience it if you choose to run after your feelings. I mean, Jonah goes to sleep when he gets on the boat. Goes down to the hall, goes to sleep, oblivious to the danger. And it just keeps getting worse all around him. So if you're tracking someone's life, someone who really matters to you, and you're concerned about them, as you well should be. Just know this, that those who run away from the voice of God will continue to receive His attention at a greater and greater intensity. They may try to slough it off, but God causes the circumstances around our lives to continue to get worse and worse until we start to pay attention to Him. It's a a hard lesson to take So many people don't even notice the fatal storm growing all around them. People who are full of the Spirit do. You look at people and you say, man, you aren't even getting it. Joni, do you not understand how bad this storm is up here? You're asleep in the hall. I mean, the captain came down to him. Do you not get it? It's a storm up here, man. We're all going to die. People who stop listening to the voice of God, they become completely oblivious to the dangers around them. Sometimes we have to come to those people and say, hey, wake up and look at it. Look at what's happening. Look what you used to have and look what you have now. Look at the way God used to bless your life. Look at the joy that you had in your life. What's, your joy's gone. Look at you, your countenance. You're sad, you're depressed, you're, you're distressed. Are you enjoy, how's it working for you? Enjoying your life? And then there's a turning point. In chapter 2, verse 4, He comes to this dramatic conclusion, which is horrible for him to even think about. I've been banished from the sight of God. There's nothing worse than that. It's the opposite of blessing. Do you understand? When we are blessed by God, it means he's looking full face at us. He's turned full face to us. What Jonah is recognizing here is that God has completely turned his back on him. Or at least he feels like God has. But, he says, I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, he's somewhere 20 feet or 30 feet below the Mediterranean now, sinking, sinking, sinking. How in the world is he looking toward the holy temple? What he's saying here is, by faith, I am turning my heart back to the voice of and will, and ways of God, represented by the temple. It reminds us of that time when Israel complained about God, Numbers chapter 21. They were griping about Moses' leadership and about God leading them into Egypt. We're going to starve. We've got nothing here and all of that. And what did God do? He got fed up with it. And so he sends a bunch of snakes among them, and these poisonous snakes start to bite the people, and they start dying. But God loves his people, and he says to Moses, listen, fashion a serpent, and put it on a pole. And if the people will look at that serpent, they will live. And so it was, he put that Serpent up on a pole and he, a bronze, and he fashioned, it. he put it up on a pole and he told the people, if you look to God by faith, if you look to what God has said, if you look to that serpent, you will live. Look and live. It's the same as Jonah here. He looked to the living God for life, he turned around. Jesus reminds us in his teachings to Nicodemus, John chapter 3. That the cross was symbolized by that serpent on the pole. And if people will look to Jesus, they will live. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And so he turns here. He's in no state to get himself back, but he can look to God. He doesn't know how he's going to get out of this calamity. He doesn't know how things are going to be fixed, but he looks to God. And by the way, he looks to God before... He gets swallowed by a fish. And we know this because he's sinking down, down, down. It says, now I'm being engulfed. Waters are threatening me. The seaweed is wrapped around. This is, the, this is where we first got he's in deep weeds. All right, that's, a, that's the first place it ever appeared in the Bible. This man's in deep weeds. And it's wrapped around his head and then it says to the roots of the mountains I sank down to the earth beneath barred me in forever as he's going down do you realize he's hitting he's going to the very bottom and he sees the bars you know if you've ever been to the bottom of the ocean there's all these sand ripples he sees them and they look to him like a prison and he says I'm going to be barred in this prison away from God forever. But you brought my life, life up from the pit because the Lord provided a fish to swallow him. He had no idea how he's going to get out of this. When y- your feelings are costing you your life and you've been forgetting about God, forgetting his word, you have an option to remember. Let me, let me encourage parents here for a second It matters All these years you've invested in your kids All the blood, sweat, and tears And arguments that came your way About church or whatever kids did for you, and you Or about family time around the Bible Or prayer or all that kind of stuff And you persisted And you drove the word of God Into their hearts and into their minds There might come a moment When they are sinking into deep weeds, and they will remember God. They will remember His truth. They will remember His voice. It will be their rescue, because they will turn to God and and hear His voice. Because you persisted. Because you were faithful to place the teaching of God's word in their hearts. Because at that baby dedication, you stood before the church and you promised that you were going to raise those kids to know about the living God. And when they chase after their feelings, when they follow after experiences, and when they find themselves in really deep weeds because God will not be ignored, then they will turn and remember what they heard about God and they will look to him and live. That's the good message here. That's the encouragement here, moms and dads. Pay attention to this. Our culture around us is dying economically. It's dying physically. It's dying morally. It's dying in terms of human identity. People are confused about their own genders. It's dying about thinking because they have been relying on feelings and experiences and not the voice of God. How far down, down, down does our culture and society have to sink down to the bars of the sand at the bottom of the sea before they come to their senses and remember that there is a God in heaven, a creator God who cares. And I'm telling you that you are going to die if you continue to stick with your feelings over the revelation of God. And so that brings me to this third reality. You can't have your your own way and God's way too. And this turning point in his life is key to that. One has to be forfeited. One has to be sacrificed, either your way or God's way. You have to come to that place. Which sacrifice do you intend to make? In verse 7 here it says, When my life was ebbing away, when I finally came to the place where I knew it was over for me, I remembered you, Lord. Sometimes that's how far it has to get. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And so there is this turning point, and you better pick carefully in your life. The forces of your bad choices... Are only held at bay so long. How long do you think Jonah. Could live in the fish's belly. Before digestion started to take place. Now. By God's amazing power and strength. The man is alive for three days. So clearly God did something supernatural. Although I'm. Convinced he was very pasty white When he got thrown up on the beach (laughs) Can't even begin to think What Jonah looked like Takes out a mirror and he's like "Oh, I am not my usual pretty self I'm going to be going into Nineveh As a very ugly preacher The beginning stages of digestion Have taken place It's one way to go on a diet But when you've been purposely muting God's voice in some area of your life, don't delay. Whenever the God who has made himself known in Scripture is either abandoned or redefined, the one who takes his throne is always a God made in our own image. Notice what he says here, those who cling to worthless idols... Jonah recognized at least some of the idols and but but interestingly enough. I think he was um I think he was uh, just choosing to be theological at this point But not really reflecting on his own life and i'm going to share that with you in a few moments as we conclude But he came to the place where he was he had to make a decision whether he's going to keep writing his feelings or And deify his experiences or turn to god turn to god from worthless idols Whenever you hear people say stuff like, I believe, or I feel God will be okay with this, or I feel it's right for me, beware. Feelings are the religion of self, as this same author writes, Barrett. And Jonah picks God's way here for deliverance and then he plans a thanksgiving sacrifice. He's promising that he's going to do a thanksgiving sacrifice. Interestingly, a thanksgiving sacrifice was when God's people got together because God had delivered somebody in their community and that person threw a party for God's people through, for the community of Israel. He'd throw a party or she'd throw a party and they'd testify to the deliverance work of God. And they'd all have a great feast together. That's what communion is. Communion in the New Testament context is is God's people gathering around to testify to each other the story of God's deliverance in our lives. And we eat together. We drink together. That's what he promises to do. The Old Testament equivalent of communion. Because salvation comes from the Lord. It's a surprising act as we encounter it here. A surprising act of God's grace because Jonah didn't deserve it. None of us would think he deserves it. It doesn't come by a tidy set of rules when God rescues and saves. We never look at people, although we do, and say, well, they're too far gone, or they're too bad, or or, haven't paid enough. And that's regularly what people say. God would never save me. I I have faced so many people who come and say, I'm I'm too bad. God has done, God God could never save me. I've been too many many places. I've gone in too many directions that have been anti-God. He could never save me. I haven't paid enough for my sins. Wait a second. You won't be paying for your sins. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. We don't earn our way back to God. Salvation is is an abrupt act of God's grace. Salvation comes from the Lord. Those three candidates this morning who testified to salvation. It was abrupt in every case. God decided to save them and save them. Salvation comes from the Lord. What a great statement is made here. And then the fish, it says, commanded by God, coughs him up on the beach. You know, there's a great irony here. Do you catch it? The fish is obedient, the prophet is not. There's something wrong with this picture. This crazy, dumb, big, fat fish in the Mediterranean is, yes, God, whatever you want, God. You know, all of creation obeys God. Except us. We're the ones who disobey God. The waves were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. The wind was doing exactly what God wanted it to do. The sea was doing exactly what God wanted it to do. A fish was doing exactly what God wanted it to do. A prophet wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. And God is gracious anyway. And has him thrown up on a beach. Listen, let's conclude it this way. There's one more big and key lesson here. And it is this. God will save you. In spite of the great distance your feelings have yet to go. I'm not anticipating that I'm speaking to a crowd of people who are going to leave this place and the feelings that they have in... Opposition to God will completely be eradicated Although that's God's will for you If you're paying attention here You're noticing that there's something Glaringly missing in this prayer You'll notice that finally uh, It says here uh, in verse 9 That Jonah obeys God. It's, okay, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. That's, that's my literal translation, or or I should say my paraphrase translation, of what I have vowed I will make good. It's like, okay, God, I get the point. It took a while, I had to be in the gut of a fish, but okay, okay, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. And finally when he does that, bleh, He gets vomited onto the beach. Now, I I need you to know that swallowing and vomiting in the Bible are always bad things. And I think it's a hint for us to know that all is not entirely well with Jonah. In fact, he becomes fish ipecac. And uh, he makes a fish sick. Because there's still something wrong with him. You know what's wrong with him? He's totally excited about his salvation. But he's not the least bit remorseful about his disobedience to God's word. You know what's glaringly lacking in this prayer? Repentance! There's no repentance here. He's just like, Thank you, Jesus, for saving my skin. But now about this little assignment you've got, okay, okay, I'll do it. But I'm not going to like it. Listen, the definition of repentance is turning from worthless idols, one of the top ones being me, myself, and I, and turning to God. Now, he has turned to God, but he hasn't turned away from himself at all. He's still Jonah, the selfish prophet. Imagine, after all of this, and by the way, God knows this. God's got him in the fish's belly, and he knows that this guy is not gonna be changed when he gets thrown up on the beach. He's still gonna be Jonah, the guy who's really thankful to God for his own salvation. And we can look at this picture and say, what a, what a rotter that guy is. The truth of the matter is, if we look deeply into our own hearts, for most of us, that's what we're thankful for. We're thankful to God that he saved us. But we're not really turning away from our self-centeredness. We're not really turning away from wanting it my way. We're not really turning away from our feelings. And when the feelings clash with God, we go our feelings' way. But, oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you for my salvation. And we'll come in here and sing praises to God. So Jonah is grateful for his salvation, but not remorseful about resisting God's word. And Jonah is thankful for his salvation, but not for his assignment. You know what our great commandment is? I love myself with all my heart, mind, soul, and body. And I love my neighbor if my neighbor does everything the way I want them to do it. That's our great commandment. But oh, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I I love Jesus. Why do you love Jesus? Because he saved me, and I'm going to go to heaven for eternal life. Well, what about your neighbor? Did I mention to you that I love Jesus because I'm going to heaven? And what what about your neighbor? They're not going to heaven. What about that person who you don't like? Are you glad they're not going to heaven? Because Jonah was. Nothing had changed in Jonah's life. Except God graciously saved him. Now, although Jonah is on mission, he also is God's mission. And so are you, and so am I. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. God has more to do in Jonah's life. Beloved, let me say something to you about this as we conclude. Saved doesn't mean delivered completely from yourself. That's where God is taking you. It doesn't mean you can excuse it. In fact, he will show you how glaringly obvious it is that you are clinging to worthless idols, and the most glaring one is you. And he will show you, and he will do whatever it takes. And this is what he was doing with Jonah. And this is how dramatic it can get, beloved. You can cooperate with God, denying yourself, take up your cross and follow him, or you can fight him all the way. Praise doesn't presuppose absence of doubt or fears or objections. Who hasn't questioned who God saved or kept or who God took away? My heart will choose to say Blessed be the Lord The God who is good So let me ask you as we close What is winning in your life? Feelings Or God's revelation Feelings or truth The journey of salvation Is a long hard deliverance From ourselves, our Father and our God, as we ponder these things and as we hold up the mirror, I ask that the Holy Spirit might break through and cause us to have a moment of real, honest truth about our own selves. We love our salvation and we love our Jesus, but way too often we love ourselves more and oh God there is no extent to which you will not go in order to win that battle to win the battle for ourselves that we will finally repent of the worthless idol ourselves and fully turn to you so that we would not miss out Forfeit the grace that could be ours, oh God. So thank you for your grace and patience with us in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was wrapping up my study of this particular section of uh, the Jonah story, I jotted down these thoughts. The journey of salvation is a long, hard deliverance from ourselves. We stop running away from God. But we struggle to run towards all God wants. We praise God and protest His ways at the same time. Faith is a wonderful word until God asks us to go against all of our sensitivities. Finally, giving ourselves over fully to God in this broken world is far more complex than we expect. So what is winning in your life, feelings, or God's truth? Is your salvation selfish? Is it all about the benefits that you're receiving? This story serves as a warning to each of us. God intends to break us of that because He wants the same grace that He has granted us to flow from us into others' lives. And he will stop at nothing until it goes there. Our Father and our God, this is important to us, an important lesson to us. And oh God, I pray that we will not run away from the mirror quickly this morning, but that we will gaze intently and we will see on the other side of that ourselves a worthless idol that regularly interferes with the great things you want to do and the grace that could be ours. Oh, God, help us to hunger for better than that. I pray in Jesus' name.